This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, we will learn about the importance of having endurance in our walk of faith from our special guest speaker, Pastor Wayne Benson. Let's join Dr. Nate Roosh right now for the introductions. It is my privilege on this Greater Faith Weekend to invite my pastor, Pastor Wayne Benson, to the pulpit. Some of you may know, and others of you have come recently. Pastor Benson was my childhood pastor. And so I learned and listened under his teaching. But I meet with him monthly over Skype, and he is my pastoral coach. And I process with him, and he has given me wisdom. And I believe in being under authority, amen? And being under that covering, and, uh, and he is my covering. And uh, as an advisory elder to the church as well, he is a part of the church. So his investment in me is an investment in Emmanuel. And so you didn't even know it, but this guy is somebody that's been investing in your life for a long time. Would you give a great big Emmanuel welcome to Pastor Wayne Benson? Thank you, Nate. Thank you, thank you. Good morning. It is so good to be back at uh, Emmanuel. Love this church. And of course, Kathy and I love Pastor Jody and the boys. I'm going to tell you, your pastor, Nate, is amazing. Can I get a witness on that? He is amazing. Are you ready for the word? Hebrews chapter 12, please open your Bibles, and I want to talk about endurance this morning, and the Holy Spirit uses a number of pictures to describe the life of faith, and the text that we're going to read from is one of the most telling of those pictures, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on who? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father God, we thank you for the word. We thank you that the one who wrote the scripture whether it was Paul or someone else in this particular book, what we do know is that the Holy Spirit penned every word in the Bible. You breathed on it. You made it alive. And now we ask in Jesus' name that you would loose the power of that word in this room and let it bear fruit and come to life in our own hearts. Get it off the pages of the book and get it into our hearts, we pray. And everyone said, amen, in Jesus' name. The life of faith is compared in this passage to a race. But the race he's talking about in Hebrews chapter 12 is not the short sprints. He's talking about a long-distance run. I admire the, the great sprinters, the 
Carl Lewis's, the uh, uh, Flo Griffith Joiner, or this amazing Jamaican runner, what's his name, Usain Bolt. They say he is the fastest human being on two feet. I mean, he's just amazing in his ability to run those short runs, those sprints. What he's talking about is not those short sprints. He's talking about the long-distance endurance races. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I, I was in track. I loved track as a high school student. I wasn't that great in any specific event, but I was pretty good at several of them and enough to, you know, I actually carried the decathlon record for a few years until my brother came along and broke it. And... Uh, I've been hearing about it ever since. That's a long time that I've had to endure. But I could run the short runs. I didn't have the chest or the stomach for those really long distance races. And the long distance runners have to train in a very specific way. It's different than the way you train for those short sprints. And that's the kind of race that he's talking about here, an endurance event. Life, the life of faith, is an endurance race. And all the runners who've ever broken records have had to train a specific way. I mean, you stop and think, running, the, how many of you have run a marathon? Let me see how many marathon runners. Wow, I'm impressed. Why would you do that? I mean, some of the worst memories of my life are at the end of an 880-yard race, you know. I can't imagine running a marathon or, or uh, some of the other long-distance races. But in order to break the record for some of those really long distance, you, you know, there's a point of pain. I think they called it back when I was running, they called it like the hitting the wall. And there's that point when you hit the wall or that point of pain that you have to have a breakthrough. And you that tra ran track, you remember, you know what I'm talking about. Man, your, you know, your throat burned like fire. You thought your heart was going to beat right out of your chest. As you, you know, hit that point, you, your legs, you feel like your legs are suddenly become like lead. Your body's just screaming for mercy. It, it's like it's protesting against the unnatural expectations that you have of your body. As I hit my age, you know, my body's always making... My mind is always making contracts that my body can't keep. Unless you can break through that pain barrier, you're not going to break the tape, you're not going to break a record, you're not going to run the race. And so when the, the runner reaches that point psychologically, there are two things that that runner needs, and I'm going to talk about that because the Scripture talks about these two sources of energy or inspiration in this passage, which helps that runner with the long distance runner with a breakthrough to be able to break through the pain barrier. And the first one is this, it's the pace setter. I just had the privilege of Googling and, and watching the old black and white tape from 1954, I think it was, when Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile for the first time in history. And uh, it was very interesting because the way it worked, and, and they had Roger Bannister actually telling about the story as you're watching this three-minute and 59-second run, and his voice is actually, he's telling about it, so they put the voice over the actual event. 
And the thing that happened is that they planned it strategically. When Roger Bannister first began the run, there was a man by the name of Brazier, Christopher Brazier, who was a college friend of his, and he ran in front of Roger Bannister. And he, he's the one who was the pace setter. And he ran just certain speed so that there was a certain time that he would come around so many laps because he didn't want, they didn't want for Roger Bannister to, to give away that energy in the, in the front of this race. So then he steps out of the race and he gives way to a second pace setter whose name was, I think, Chataway. And Christopher Chataway, then he went in front of Roger Bannister and he was the pace setter for the next, I think it was a lap and a half. Then having spent his energy, he drops aside and the one with the greatest remarkable talent and energy reserves and great pig long legs, if you watch him in that race, Google it sometime. He's got those long legs. And then he blasts ahead, kicks it in, and runs for the finish line and runs that race. Remarkable. I mean, it is truly a spectacle to see. Without a pace setter, that record would never have been broken. Can I tell you this morning, church, we have a pace setter. His name is Jesus Christ. He has run before us the race. He's run in such a way, not as... God Almighty, but it said the kenosis, he took, he, he did it as a man. And he ran before us, he showed us the way, he lets us follow him, and he tells us we can be like him, we can follow him, we can follow in his footsteps, and he sets the pace for us and shows us how to live. We have a pace setter, his name is Jesus Christ. Can you just say thank you for Jesus Christ, our great pace setter? But there's a second source of energy, and it's referred to in this, in this scripture. And we see it in Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says it's described as a great cloud of witnesses. And we're going to focus on that in just a moment. But the athlete who runs these races runs in an arena with steeply banked seats all around, and spectators, and the crowd is the cheering crowd. When I watched that video, that old black and white film of Roger Bannister back in 1954, one of the things that really impressed me was as he starts to break free from his last pace setter and starts to charge on ahead and kick it in, the crowd starts to realize what's happening. And it didn't matter any longer who they were cheering for that was back further in this race. Oh no, they were cheering for somebody who is gonna create a new world record and do something they said could never be done. They said nobody could ever break the four minute mile. They started cheering. And pretty soon the whole grandstands all around, they're all standing at their feet. And they're screaming and they're yelling. And that inspiration, adrenaline, he said adrenaline began to flow and his, his legs started to get lighter because they became a part of the race with him 
And there was a sense in which he wasn't just the champion. And his pace setters just didn't share the championship. But in fact, they all were sharing the moment of that championship because they were willing him on and pressing him on. The life of faith is is described this way. God knows we need a breakthrough. We need an inspiration. You know, don't believe any gushy Christian who says to you, you know, once you come to Jesus Christ, once you get saved, you'll never have any more problems, never be any more challenges, you never have to deal with any issues. You know, all of a sudden, you know, when you first get saved, you kind of, you know, are in that sort of that world where everything is just so wonderful, and I love it. I love the enthusiasm of a brand new believer. But the truth is, you still have to go back to the same job. You still have to have the same boss. You still have to pay your bills. You still have to, and how many know that every Christian is not all that in a bag of chips? And you discover that reality, that they're still growing and maturing, and some of them are not so mature. You have to part the beard to get the bottle in, you know. How many want some inspiration this morning? You want some? All right. I'm going to take you to another scripture. Hold your place in Hebrews 12. I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, and let's take a good look at this stadium of faith. Hebrews 12 is a beautiful picture, that source of inspiration, the pace setter, the cloud of witnesses. Now let's look at the same kind of analogy that Paul is now using in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself would not be disqualified. Verse 24 says, those who run in a race all run. And the Greek word that is translated race there is one that I think you know. So I don't know any Greek. Well, I think you probably do. Because the Greek word that is used for race there is stadios. What does that sound like to you? It sounds like a stadium, right? Because that's exactly what he's talking about. That is the basis for the word stadium. It's the image that he's trying to paint for us, a picture of the long-distance runner running on a track on certain prescribed boundaries. And we don't have the time to talk about that, but prescribed boundaries. It's a stadium. I'll have to tell you, the very first time I ran a mile in a race... They stuck me in that, and I wasn't really trained for that, but I was a great, I was a good sprinter, you know? And so when they hit that gun, man, I, I was off like a bullet, and I got out there. I had to be 20 yards in front of the next guy. They're all way behind me. And so I'm chugging along, and I'm doing just great. You know, but a mile, when you're sprinting, starts to wear you down. And so as time goes on and every curve looked like every other curve and every lap, and then it's like the the whole track started going uphill. 
And then the guys that I was so far ahead, they start blowing past me. And I'm running and, you know, and they're blowing past me one by one. Everyone, they're all going past me. And I, I think there was a smirk on their face as they were passing me. There was a look on their face. In fact, the last guy said something. It sounded like na 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 or something <laughs> that I can't quite remember. The life of faith is like that. When we first come to Christ, we're so excited. We're just in love with Jesus. And, you know, it's one to feel like we could skate over all of our problems. And, and you're walking on air. You've heard the starting gun. And you're off. And it's remarkable. And how many remember what I'm talking about? When you first came to the Lord, was, was that not just felt like you could just do anything? At times, we're going to need inspiration. There are times when we're going to hit that wall of pain. There are times when we need to break through, and our scripture tells us about that. It says we're running in a stadium. We're not a, this is not a solo act, guys. It's not a solo act. There are spectators in the stadium. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding you see that in your mind now, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin and run with endurance. Surrounded by a crowd, cheering us on but who's in the crowd because I mean after all some crowds can be intimidating but please hear me this morning God wants you to be inspired and if you knew who was in this crowd if you just knew who was in the crowd say well who is in the crowd well Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and See, when he says, therefore, you always, when you see in the scripture, they begin with a chapter that says, therefore, always ask what it is, therefore. Because what it's telling you is that it's connecting something. It's connecting to the previous chapter. Well, what's the previous chapter? It's Hebrews chapter 11, the great roll call of the heroes of faith. But here's my problem. See, when I used to read that scripture, much of my life, even after I was in ministry, I would look at those great who's who of the Bible. I'd look at those giants, and, and I'm going, oh, my God, oh, Abraham, and the father of our faith, and Sarah, and what she did. My, you know, And you look through the stained glass pages of biblical history, and they're so much bigger than life. How am I supposed to be encouraged by them being in the audience? That's an intimidating audience. Let me explain it like this. When I was in high school, uh, I took up a number of musical instruments, and Mr. Gajek, who was the head of the school orchestra, and he was known in the community for the Redford Civic Symphony. Well, he asked me to take up viola. Well, I had played violin, so like viola is just a bigger version of a violin, and so I got pretty good on it pretty quick. I mean, I was playing scales, and then I was playing songs in a, in a day. And then, uh, you know, in a week or two, I'm starting to get into music and get it and read the viola scale, which was a different scale than the violin scale, getting pretty confident. So he sticks me in the school orchestra to play the viola. Well, after a few weeks of that, 
He says, I want you to come to the Redford Civic Symphony. I want you to play viola in the Redford Civic Symphony. Wow, okay, I'll try that. So I got in Redford Civic Symphony. I, I'm not there very long, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm the best viola in the Redford Civic Symphony, which isn't saying a lot because I was the only viola in the Redford Civic Symphony. <laughs> and I was starting to, you know, I was making rehearsals regularly and I was able to play, you know, pages maybe without a mistake. You know, I was getting all right. One day, an elderly woman by the name of Marion comes in, and her viola case, she's going to play the viola. She was introduced to me, and I looked at her viola case, and the thing is, it was kind of embarrassing. She opened up the viola case, and her viola was, had all the rosin down underneath the strings, and the neck was all worn and looked like something that she got, you know, out of a garage sale or something. Marion sat down beside me and I said, now Marion, here's, here's the music we're, we've been working on here in the orchestra. And so here's some of the hard lines. I'll just, you know, run that by you so you know. But we, we you know, we'll work together on thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. She says, okay, Wayne, thank you so much. I just so appreciate that. And I felt so good about that. I, it was like, you know, this gushy, warm feeling inside of me that I'd sort of ministered to a sweet elderly lady. It wasn't long until that warm, gushy feeling turned into an ice cold slushy and a brain freeze. We hadn't played four or five lines and I wanted to put my viola in the case and slink away, never to be seen again. Because Marion hadn't been playing for 40 days. Marion had been playing for 40 years. And it was disgusting. <laughs> she could make that thing sit up and talk. And I'm bumbling. You say, well, that must have been very inspiring. Oh, I'd never wanted to play again. Now listen, that's the way I used to read Hebrews chapter 11. But here's the thing I want you to see today. Hebrews chapter 12 says this great cloud of witnesses is surrounding us in this great, great faith, that we're this race of faith. And here's the thing I want you to understand this morning. Do you know that every one of those names that are named in the great list of the heroes of faith in chapter 11, that every one of them had problems. Every one of them failed. They failed, they messed up, they goofed up, they you know, Abraham, he tells a lie about his wife, basically gives her away, gives, gives away the, the only vehicle through which the promise of God is going to come for a whole nation to be born out of whom the Messiah would come that would save your soul. But Abraham is listed in this group, and it doesn't say anything about his failures. In fact, the interesting thing doesn't say anything about any of their failures. 
Not one of them is called out in Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, you stop and think about it. Sarah laughs at the promise of God. Isaac has major family problems. Jacob was a deceiver until he got out conned by his uncle, who was sort of the king of the cons, you know. Joseph couldn't keep his promise in his heart like he was supposed to and prematurely tells his brothers that one of the day they're going to fall down and they're going to serve him. That really went over great. And then Moses. Moses is the son of, of slaves. Moses dealt with anger all of his life and it cost him dearly. But we get to Hebrews 11 and every one of them are preceded by these words. And by faith, Abraham did this. And by faith, Sarah did that. And by faith, Isaac and Jacob and Samson. You talk about someone that had a problem. Every one of them are named without one word. You say, God, what is this? Did you forget? Did you slip a memory cog by the time we get to Hebrews chapter 11? You don't say anything about how they goofed up. Did you forget? And let me tell you, this is the good news I want you to hear today. The word forget doesn't go with God any place except for one time. In multiple places, but one one instance. And it says that when we are redeemed, when we become his covenant property, when we become his... When we repent of our sin and we open our heart to God, do you know what he says? I will remember your sin against you no more. Can you think of that? That God forgets and justifies us just as if I'd never sinned? And so Abraham is mentioned as the father of faith and a friend of God, Sarah, the mother of a nation. Isaac is remembered as the father of Israel. Jacob is remembered for believing God's promise to the point where he had him take his bones into the promised land. Joseph is remembered as second in command in Egypt and saves the nation. Moses is there and he's remembered for leading two and a half million people through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. And you know what? My mother and dad are there. Kathy spokes are there. So is Les Mayo. Maybe you have some treasure on the other side waiting for you, but every believer, every hero of faith, and yes, every every angel assigned to you, and yes, everyone in that stadium of faith is cheering you on, and they are shouting from the top of their lungs, you can make it. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about Emmanuel and enjoy other messages and detailed information about our church by checking out emmanuelcc.org.